Happy Easter. Throughout the world this weekend, people are gathering in churches, watching online to proclaim this amazing truth. Jesus Christ is risen. In fact, I'm going to ask you to join me in doing something that's been happening in churches for centuries. You're going to look up on the screen and you're going to see a statement that says, leader, Christ is risen, people, he is risen indeed. We're going to make it easy. I'll be the leader, you be the people, okay? So let's try it. Christ is risen. Uh, that's sort of weak. Um, I'm not sure you guys believe it. Uh, let's try this. I know you just sat down, but would you stand up with me? Because I know we can talk, do better than that. All right. Let's stand up. We're going to try it again. Same thing. I'm still the leader. You're still the people. Okay. Remember? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Ah, much better. Okay. Turn to somebody and say, hey, you're looking good today. And then have a seat. <laughs> All right. For those of you who are new, welcome. I'm Pastor Chris, the lead pastor here at New Life, and we're so glad you're here to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The idea that Jesus Christ, an itinerant rabbi from the Galilee, Galilee region in Israel, rose from the dead 2,000 years ago has transformed history. But let's admit it. There are billions of people in the world who don't think it ever happened. In fact, there are some people in the world who think that Jesus is just a myth or a legend. Others say that they believe it happened and call Jesus Savior and Lord in our lives and yet don't live as if it makes much difference on a day-to-day -day basis. I challenge us right now to consider Jesus' resurrection and its implication for this very moment and for every moment in our lives. I titled today's message, Mission, and if you look at it closely, it's possible. The I am is, is there's strike through there, because the mission that we're going to talk about today is possible. It isn't impossible, it's possible. So what is the mission? Before we get to that, um, let's set the stage a bit. First of all, Jesus of Nazareth started a brief ministry of only three years in about 30 AD. Jesus' mission was to bring new life and salvation to the world. That sounds impossible for someone who lived 2,000 years ago in a little Israeli town, right? But here's the thing. Jesus wasn't actually from that little Israeli town. In fact, Jesus wasn't from anywhere on this planet. Jesus came from heaven to earth. That's something that we believe that changes everything. Jesus was and is the son of God. He actually has amazing credentials. He is all-powerful and ever-present, and yet... When he came with his mission of giving us a new life and salvation, he didn't shove it down our throats. He actually offered it to us as a gift. We can say yes or no. It makes no sense to anyone who looks at it from a selfish perspective. I mean, if you have all power, why not make everybody do what you want? And you know, I think all of us can look at it from a selfish perspective because we're all selfish until Jesus becomes Savior and Lord in our lives. Before we get to Jesus' mission for us, let's look at the major event in all history when it comes to Jesus of Nazareth, his resurrection. We're gonna look at Matthew's account of what happened on that first Easter day. So it's in Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse one. It says this, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. 
And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he has gone before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. All four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, each one has an account of Jesus' resurrection. The details are a little different. Sometimes the angel's outside the tomb, sometimes inside the tomb. Some say one angel, some say two. But the point is the same. Jesus was dead on Friday, and he was alive again on Sunday. I know it's Easter, and I know you expect to hear me talk about Jesus being raised from the dead. In fact, I bet you if I didn't talk about Jesus being raised from the dead, you would wonder why you came today, right? But I think we need to pause here for a minute. Actually, I'm going to ask you all to join me. We're going to take two deep breaths, all right? Now, let's think about the implications of Jesus' resurrection if he did rise from the dead, it means he is who he said he is, the son of God and savior of the world. And if he didn't rise from the dead, frankly, I'm out. I mean, I'm not showing up on Easter day or any day to talk to you about Jesus if he didn't rise from the dead. I've believed this account of Jesus' resurrection for more than 50 years. But when I was 17, five years after I trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord in my life, I had a crisis of belief that lasted for five years. And when I say crisis of belief, I don't mean I stopped believing that Jesus rose from the dead. I've always believed that. But here was the crisis. My struggle was whether I was compelled to live my life according to his will rather than mine. You know, I actually get it when people say, well, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but I don't really follow him. I've been there. Done that, have several t-shirts to the effect. It doesn't make any sense if Jesus rose from the dead and we say he's Savior and Lord in our life that we wouldn't follow him, but then human beings do a lot of things that don't make much sense, right? The more important question is this for us right now. Will we buy into Jesus' mission for us or will we just go on living as if we're still Lord in our lives? Will we let the implications of a God who won't force us to do anything but will always show us what's best for our lives if we let him be the leader. Will we go all in for Jesus' mission for us? Truthfully, if Jesus rose from the dead, then whatever his mission for us is, it's possible. In fact, that's our take-home point for the day. If you're new, the take-home point is the one point I'm gonna make from the scriptures that we're reading today that we wanna go out and hopefully live it out in the week ahead. And so here it is. Jesus rose from the dead, so his mission for us is possible. So what is Jesus' mission for us? We could state it in hundreds of different ways, but here it is in a nutshell. Jesus' mission for us is to love God, to love one another in the church, and then to love everyone else the way he loves us. And if you're thinking, that's it? Jesus died and rose again to give us an ooey-gooey feeling for each other? 
No, that was the farthest thing from Jesus' mind. Jesus doesn't want us to have a ooey-gooey feeling for each other. Jesus wants us to sacrifice our selfish self-interest and our desires and put him first. Jesus wants us to sacrifice our self-interest and desires and put others first. You know, Jesus doesn't want us to think less of ourselves. He just wants us to think of ourselves less. When we leave this service, I'll bet you Jesus is probably happy that we shouted, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. But he didn't come to the earth, live a perfect life, die on the cross, rise again, go back to heaven and send the Holy Spirit so we can shout, Christ is risen once a year. You know, he did all of that so that we can have the actual power and presence of God in our lives so we actually can live out his mission possible in our lives. The danger always exists that we'll take Jesus' example and his teachings and we'll turn them into just another religion. You realize, of course, the only people Jesus couldn't get along with during his 33 years on the earth were the religious leaders. Jesus didn't die and rise again to give us a better religion. He died and rose again to give us a whole new life. Right now, we're going to switch to focusing on how we carry out that life, that mission that Jesus has for us. We've already established that it's possible because Jesus rose from the dead. And if Jesus rose from the dead, then anything is possible. But what we're going to do, and we're going to ask a question, and we're going to look at this question for the next 20 weeks. This is the first week of 21 weeks, second longest message series in the history of new life. And we're going to ask ourselves this question. How do I live out Jesus' mission daily? After all, Jesus not only didn't rise again to give us a new religion, he didn't rise again so we could gather together or online once a week or once a month or once a year to celebrate his resurrection. We need Jesus' resurrection power to live out Jesus' mission in the simplest daily activity. What I'm about to say I wrote three weeks ago. The reason that's important, you'll see in a moment. Three weeks ago, I wrote this. For me, driving my car from here to Cabot takes Jesus' resurrection power because even such a short drive always presents at least one opportunity for me to forget to love God, to love other people, and, you know, and especially those people that drive like, well, we won't say. All right. <laughs> so I wrote that three weeks ago, but four days ago, I was in a serious car crash. On, right on Route 356 and uh, Marwood Road. And my car had $6,000 worth of damage. The other cars totaled. Uh, one driver in the other car, one driver, me in the other car. And during the 45 minutes to an hour after the accident occurred, this amazing thing happened. I acted like Jesus. It wasn't me. <laughs> God knows it wasn't me. Because I had a sort of a thought whenever somebody, you know, pulled in front of me and we had an accident. And it wasn't a pleasant thought, but immediately, immediately, I realized I have the power and presence of the living God of the universe. So I was very pleasant to everybody involved in the situation. And I'm grateful, well, I'm grateful to be alive, but I'm grateful that that happened. And here's my point. Every single day at school, at work, at home, we have hundreds of opportunities to exercise the power and presence of God in living out his mission of loving God, loving each other here in the church, and loving other people out there in the world that maybe nobody else even loves. 
So right now, we're going to turn to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. If you have a mountain monologue study guide, I'd ask you to turn to page 8. That's where we're going to be for the rest of today. If you don't have one and you would like to have one, we're not forcing you to take one, but if you want one, just raise your hand and somebody will bring one to you. And what we're going to see, oh, please bring these every week because we're going to be using these every week from now through the end of August, all right? So we've already focused on Jesus' resurrection from the dead and how having that power in our lives is possible because Jesus did rise from the dead. Basically, we can do just about anything. So Matthew 5, 1 to 12, that's what we're going to look at today. It's the opening movement of the Sermon on the Mount. And in that, we have what's called the Beatitudes. I'm going to be saying a lot about what that means. But right now, let's look at how it starts off. It says, and seeing the crowds... He, that is Jesus, went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. I've always liked that Jesus climbed up the mountain before he started talking. You know, what he basically was saying is, hey, y'all, you're on your butts, get up. We're gonna, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to follow me. You're going to have to do something. And there was a crowd of people, but Jesus was actually talking to his disciples. These disciples were actually engaged in following Jesus. They'd already left their day jobs to follow Jesus. So others listened that, but, but it was the disciples who were standing front and center. And you know right now, some of you are in the front, some of you are in the back, some of you are in the balcony, some of you watched online. But the point is this. I'm glad for all of you, every single one of you. And I'm sure as Jesus looked at the crowd that day, he was glad they were there. They could listen in if they wanted to. But he was focused on those 12. Well, maybe it was only six or eight because this is right at the beginning of the ministry. He might not have called all of them. Actually, I know for sure that he hadn't called all of them yet because I just page through my mind, and then the Bible, it tells us that. So there weren't all 12 even, but they were the focus. And here's what Jesus said. It says, and opening his mouth, he started teaching them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek because they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure or clean in heart, because they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, because they will be called the children of God. Blessed are the ones having been persecuted because of righteousness, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you, lying On account of me, rejoice and exalt because your reward is great in heaven. For thus they persecuted the prophets who came before you. As I said, we call these sayings the Beatitudes, which means supreme blessedness or exalted happiness, according to dictionary.com. Jesus started his message about how to live out his mission on the earth with nine statements promising blessing or exalted happiness to those who live them out. Now, if you listened to those statements and you thought, what? Why? I'm with you. I mean, why would I want to be poor in spirit? Why would I want to mourn? How is it a blessing? Why would I be exaltedly happy because I'm sad that I lost something in my life? It makes no sense. Now, some of them do make sense. I mean, blessed are those who make peace. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are, you know, blessed are the merciful. That makes sense. But again, is it a blessing when people persecute you, whether it's for doing the right thing or for standing up for Jesus, it just doesn't make any sense. And here's the deal. Jesus' view of life differed radically from the people in his day and in ours. One of the reasons Jesus' mission for us can seem impossible is he tilts the usual thinking the way we think on its head. We live in an information age, an age when more is better, bigger is better, 
always more, more, bigger, bigger, right? And Jesus starts off by saying, blessed are those who lack something. Those who lack the spirit. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. If you lack the spirit of God, it's a blessing. How is that possible? It's actually the first step on the way to the kingdom of heaven. I do want to say real quickly, why did he say kingdom of heaven? Why not kingdom of God? Well, Matthew was a Jew and the Jews didn't like to say the word God. In fact, when the word God came up in the scripture, they said Lord. And when the word God came up in kingdom of, they said heaven because they just wouldn't say name out loud because it was so special and so precious to them. So anyway, Jesus' point is this. The blessed life starts with recognizing you haven't arrived. I haven't arrived. Notice that many of the Beatitudes are about states of being. We are poor in spirit. We are meek. We are pure in heart. We're even persecuted. I mean, that's something that happens to us. It's not something that we do, right? So here's my point. We could consider these statements Beatitudes for living. Jesus wants us to be poor in spirit, meek, merciful, pure in heart. He wants us to be peacemakers, pursuers of righteousness. For Jesus, be comes before do. For Jesus, be comes before do. Would you say that out loud with me? For Jesus, be comes before do. We live in a doer's world, right? Everything's about, I gotta do something, I have so much to do, I can't get it all done. I never get my to-do list to done. It just never happens, right? Do, 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 do. That's how it is. But God, you know, God doesn't say doing is wrong, but God created us as human beings not human doings. As Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount, he reminded those who would be his followers, those who would carry out his mission on earth, that who you are in me matters more than what you do. Let's pause and think about that. Who you are, who I am in Jesus Christ matters more than what we do. You see, what we do does matter, but consider this. If you added up all the good stuff you ever did in your life, let's forget about the bad stuff, but all the good stuff that you ever did in your life and you laid it in front of Jesus, would that be enough for you to be considered good in his eyes? Now, if you answer yes to that question, then you're on the track to a really good religion because all the religions of the world say, do good. In fact, most of the religions of the world say, if you do enough good, God will love you or at least he won't hate you. That's the way it works. But what Jesus said is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus offends so many because he had the audacity to say, it doesn't matter what you do. It's what I have done that matters. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. That means it's not about you or me, but here's a crucial point. While every aspect of our faith and our ability to carry out Jesus' mission depends on him, Jesus came to earth in the first place because you and I matter infinitely to him. I have a, a, an idea in my head about Jesus. I can't prove it's true. Someday in heaven, I'll find out. But I think Jesus has the fattest wallet in the universe because I think he has all our pictures in it. And he opens it up and goes, look at my little Tammy. Look at my little Chris. Look at my little, you know, Faith. Look at my little Nancy. And I think there's another part of his wallet. Another part of his wallet has all the pictures of all the rest of the people who aren't yet in the family, but he wants them to be. So it's a pretty fat wallet, right? That's the thing about Jesus. We're gonna see through these 21 weeks of mountain monologues, we're calling that following Jesus is impossible 
without the resurrection power. Time after time, we're going to read what Jesus said in Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, and we're going to say, what? How can I do that? And the answer is going to be, we can't do it in our own power. I mean, Matthew 5.48 says, be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. There's one that's, I hope I'm not preaching that week. But because Jesus rose from the dead, returned to heaven, and sent the Holy Spirit to those who trust him as Savior and Lord, we can carry out his mission. There's a quote from a guy named G.K. Chesterton that I've said hundreds of times over the course of New Life's history. And I want to say it one more time as we start this mountain monologue series. It it goes like this. The Christian life has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. We live in a culture that's angry all the time or, or it's indifferent or it's wanting uh, whatever we want. You know, what we're pursuing all the time is happiness or success or power or fame. And here's the reality. All of those pursuits are going to end up in the same place. Disappointment. Because we weren't created for any of that. Happiness is a byproduct. It's not the product that we should be pursuing. And reality is this. God created us to Love and glorify him and to enjoy him forever and do that together in love relationships with one another. And he invites us to join him in a journey that starts not with doing, but with these be attitudes. It starts with being new people in him. So that's why today's next step is I will live Jesus' be attitudes in my life this week. I will live Jesus' be attitudes. That means I'll be a certain way before I do anything this week. Now, is it going to be easy? No. It's going to be impossible unless we experience Jesus' resurrection power and live it out daily in his name. But when we do that, when we lean into who we are in Jesus Christ, what we can do will surprise us. And actually, more importantly than that, it will surprise our families our classmates at school, our coworkers at work, and people out there in the world. That has been Jesus' mission possible for us all the time. Change the world, one changed person at a time. He's calling you to be the one who reaches out to the ones in your spheres of influence today, but first, before he wants you to do anything, you and I have to let him change us. He already showed us he has the power to do that when he stepped out of the grave. Amen? So the only way any of us will ever live Jesus' beatitudes in our lives is by giving him control and letting his resurrection power work in and through us. If you've never done that, my question is, why not today? Why not make today the day that Jesus becomes your savior, your rescuer from sin and death, your Lord, which means master, owner, and God? No day is ever going to be better than today. Here at New Life, we say that living the new life in Jesus is simple, but it's not easy. We already saw that just through these Beatitudes. But we're going to see it all through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But putting our lives in Jesus' hand is simple. It's as simple as A, B, C. A is admit. We have to admit that we're sinners, that we're selfish, that we're broken, that we don't wake up in the morning and say, Good morning, God! Not until he's in charge of our lives. What we usually wake up and say is, oh man, it's morning. Or maybe we say, oh, it's Easter. I get to have a ham dinner. Or maybe we say, oh, the pirates are five and three. Can you believe it? 
I don't know what you say when you wake up in the morning, but by nature, we don't wake up and say, good morning, God. But by supernatural means, we do. That's when we be, believe. When we believe that Jesus is who he said he is. He is the son of the living God. He is Savior and Lord of all who trust him. And then see, we confess Jesus as Savior and Lord in our lives to God first and then to other people. And we call on the Holy Spirit. This is so powerful and so important because we can't do any of the stuff we talk about without the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So we call on the Holy Spirit to fill us and empower us. And please, 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 if this is your first day that you're going to trust Jesus as Savior and Lord, please don't be a jerk about it. So many people out there in the world today who call on Jesus, Savior, and Lord, they're screaming at other people. They're telling people that God hates them. God doesn't hate anybody. He doesn't. He loves us all. He does prefer that we trust Him as Savior and Lord and live in the Spirit's power, but everybody's either in His family or is potentially in His family. So let's be like Jesus to people when we have hard stuff going on in our lives and especially when we just want to tell people about Jesus. Let's do it with joy and let's do it in a way that is winsome and always points to Jesus because it's not about us, it's about him. If you're ready to do that, I'm going to pray right now. I'm going to pretend I'm you because I'm going to pray in the first person to God and, and you don't have to say these exact words but the key is that you're transferring ownership from you to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you exist and that you sent Jesus to the earth. I admit that I am a sinner. I'm broken. I don't, I don't wake up any day and think of you first. I believe what we've been talking about here today, that Jesus is your son, that he rose from the dead after he died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. I claim him as Savior and Lord right now. And I confess to you, God, Jesus is Savior and Lord. And I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit so I can live in your power from this moment forward. And God, I pray for all of us who have at one time prayed a prayer or something like that, given our lives over, given you ownership in our life. I pray, God, that you will fill us new and fresh with your Holy Spirit, that all that we think, say, and do will bring you honor, glory, and praise, that you will empower us to carry out your mission, to love you, to love each other here in the church and to love everyone out there in the world. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name, amen.